So I'm going to hand over to Simon now, who's going to come and speak to us. Thank you, Liz. Well, let me just say right at the beginning that um, you will need Bibles because we're going to have a couple of readings and they're not going to be on the screen. So uh, it's a really good opportunity for you to, I can't say dust off the Bibles because they were dusted off yesterday in the tidy update, but at least to have them available to you. But not yet. Just a reminder, Liz has already told us, but let just may remind you that um, we're starting this series which is giving us the tools to allow us to grow in our Christian faith. And uh, here's the first confession. I'm, I, I like to um, compliment myself for saying a middle-aged Christian. It may be verging onto old age now, but uh, I'm plateauing. And so this idea of us being hungry to grow is really quite... Uh, a challenge for me and a, a great excitement. Um, and I don't know where you're at. You'll be in one of two places. You'll either be hungry to grow and really wanting to use the tools that we're going to be explaining in the next few weeks, or you'll be really quite satisfied with life. Not smug necessarily, but reasonably happy if life as it now is continues at that same sort of level. So as I pray before uh, expanding on the first of our tools... I want to encompass both of those environments and you just identify uh, which is you. So let's pray. We pray, Father, for those today who are indeed uh, dissatisfied uh, with where their relationship with you is. Maybe aware of all the blessings, but just wanting more. Not because they're greedy, but because they know that you want to give them more. And then for those who feel like life is okay and uh, the tools are interesting, but to be kept in the back pocket, as it were. Lord, you can give a hunger there because you want to fill it. So for each of us, please, help us to want to grow because you want us to grow and will help us to grow. Amen. Okay, so the first tool is, and I need to read this, meditation, because the first tool at the nine o'clock service came out as medication and could easily become mediation before I finish today. But it's meditation and prayer. And we're going to be focusing particularly on meditation because I believe that once meditation has become part of our lives, then prayer follows from that. If we try it the other way round, then I think sometimes things go wrong. And if you take on board nothing else that I say, then I hope that what I communicate in the next 30 seconds will really sink in, because it's critically important. the gift of silence. The psychoanalyst Carl Jung said, hurry is not of the devil, hurry is the devil. 
And most people today are too busy. I don't want to impose upon you a feeling, and if you don't feel too busy, then that's fine. But for many, many people, life is too busy. Not necessarily with urgent things, but with what we would call pressing things. And we are living life in the fast lane. And human beings were not made to operate at that level. God did not create us to run and run and run. And perhaps that's why, even for people, I say even for, for people who have no faith at all, there's an attraction to mindfulness, to yoga, to meditation, because that allows you to calm down. And that's what we're made for. Now there may be those who say this obsession with mindfulness which Christians have now uh, jumped on the bandwagon for is just typical Christians seeing what's out there and seeing how they can make some sort of connection to get people back into religion. Well there's two answers to that and they are this. First of all, Christian meditation may have similarities with meditation that's secular or from Buddhism or whatever but they are essentially with the wrong purpose, a different purpose. Non-Christian meditation is about emptying the mind so that you can make contact with your inner self. Christian meditation is about emptying the mind, so there's parallels, but it's in order to make contact with your creator. Because when you're in contact with your creator, that's when you find your true self. That's the first counter to those who think that we might be jumping on a bandwagon. The second is this. Back in the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, meditation is a key characteristic of the Christian faith. We're not inventing it, we're not reading back into uh, Old Testament texts the importance because we think it'll you know, resonate with people today. And we're going to be looking at David um, from the Old Testament as a model of somebody who meditated and how it transformed his life. But before we do that, we need to go back to the roots of the Christian faith to understand why prayer and meditation is so fundamental. Because at its core, the Christian faith is not a religion. It's a relationship. And to understand the place of meditation and prayer, we can learn much from healthy relationships between human beings. A husband and a wife, parent and child, two best friends, What sort of a relationship is it where there's little communication? What sort of a relationship where there are long spells apart? What sort of relationship is it when there's only business to be transacted, a need to be exchanged? And it's no coincidence that we can draw parallels from human relations to understand prayer because we are made in God's image. And God is a relational God. It's part of his core. He is we, because there's three of them, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We don't understand it in our human minds, but we know that God is relational. 
we know that God is I am, Yahweh, Jehovah. I am is about being present in the present, not the past or the future, but in the present. We know that Jesus is the word, and that's not just speaking to us, it's communication. So all these things convince us that this is what we were made for. We are made in God's image. Powerful illustration in Genesis chapter 3, when the story of creation, the Garden of Eden, God was walking in the garden in the cool of the evening and he was looking for someone to talk to. And the nature of sin is that we weren't there. But that just shows that God is a relational God and we will find our being when we relate to him. Let's hear a reading from John chapter 15 which illustrates the close integrity that there is between us and God. And just for a moment as you read this, think of Jesus as the vine being cut off from his father. He's talking about our relationship with God, but it's really powerful to think of what it meant for Jesus to be cut off from his relationship with his father at the cross. Mike's going to read it from the congregation. It's John chapter 15. It's John chapter 15, reading from verses 1 to 8, and you can find it on page 1083 in the Bibles. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Uh, <clears throat> I was deeply moved when we were singing about you. You took the cross, you bore the cross, you, yes. That, that um, Jesus was separated from his father and uh, as it were his relationship which is part of his core was broken for us but then Jesus goes on to say and that relationship which has been restored through Jesus is what makes us human beings and did you notice that just at the uh, end of that passage where it says ask whatever you like that's why prayer comes after Meditation, because once we're in God's presence, we know the sorts of things to ask for. And if we ask for something and he doesn't give us, it's not an issue that causes us concern because we know that of our relationship with him is right. So let's look at one person who modelled the sort of relationship that we are to aspire to, David. And you can look at pretty well any one of the Psalms 
and you can see the closeness of the relationship. We're going to look at Psalm 63, the first eight verses of it, uh, because that's a wonderful illustration, and we'll just look for a while after that about David's life and how his close contact with God was what made him the man that he was. So it's Psalm 63, and Mike's going to read that for us. Psalm 63 is on page 579. It's a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as the richest of foods with singing lips, with, my, as, with singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Some wonderful images there. At night time, he does it. We know from the story of David that uh, he spent many years looking after his father's sheep and that it was during those times that he felt a closeness to God. Particularly moving that when he was faced with uh, Goliath, And uh, King um, Saul said, but you're just a boy. What did he say? He says, no, 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 no. He said, "Um, I've killed lions, I've killed bears, and I couldn't kill this Goliath too. He learned the lessons from what happened in his daily life to help him see the future. And so he could face the future knowing that God was with him. I don't know why I find that quite so moving, but I do. So David lived his life with God. He meditated not just at night, but whenever he had the opportunity. That psalm was written when he was in the deserts of Judah. And if you know the story, that was when he was being hunted down by Saul. And rather than thinking all about Saul, he was thinking about God being with him. Good stuff. So then, if you use the marriage illustration, how's your relationship with God? Still on good terms? Cordial, but cool. We see each other from time to time. I know if I need anything, he'll always be there, or she'll always be there. Uh, We're not as passionate as we were at the beginning. We seem to have drifted apart. Which one fits you? And if you see there is room for improvement, I really do hope you, you do, Don't beat yourself about the head, but recognize that that sense of dis-ease comes from God. And it's because he wants not to chastise you, but to deal with the hunger that he's put inside you. And meditation and prayer 
is a good first step because meditation is spending time with him with no agenda, no to-do list. I love the illustration of a little child coming home from school and talking to his mum or dad about the day he has had. That's communicating. That's meditation. Now, this topic came up at our life group meeting last Wednesday. It was quite spontaneous. We weren't studying anything related to that. But uh, there was more than one person who expressed despair at the prospect of meditation. You sit there, waiting for God to call, and what happens? You remember all the things that you've forgotten, and you hope you remember them after the meditation is over, because otherwise they'll be forgotten again. So you spend your time thinking, there's five things, there's five things, I'll write them down afterwards. Either that, or you go asleep. You fall asleep. I do believe seriously that people fall asleep in sermons because it's the only time in the week when they're not expected to do anything and just to be. So you're forgiven on that. But there was this sense of of, uh, meditation being something I ought to do and I have tried to do, but quite honestly, if God was there, I missed him or else I was asleep at the time he visited. And when it was all over... I felt exactly the same, except perhaps a little bit worse, for not having met him. Well, I identify with that, and I want to share one way of uh, meditating with you that I found helpful, but beware, there's no single golden bullet solution. Each has to be found in its own situation. But it is a privilege, it really is a privilege to be a preacher in the church because you have to eat the food that you're serving up to others unless you're going to be very hypocritical. And over the last week or so, as I've been aware of this, I have consciously uh, attempted to bring God into my daily life. So if I have a feeling, if I'm aware of a feeling, I voice it just to tell him, not to say, please, would you change this or... If, I, if there is a need, I say to him, gosh, I really would like to see the situation changed. If I see somebody who has a need, instead of my first reaction, how can I deal with that? What can I do about it? I hand that over to God. And it's been really very encouraging. It's good. It's what a healthy relationship should be. So hopefully, uh, when you came into church, you were each given something called the examine. And I just need to check. Did anybody slip in late? We'd like to expose you as being a latecomer. And you won't have got an examine. Or early. Or early. Now, do we have any spare copies of the examine? Ron, stand up and hand them out to anybody who puts their hand up. And if we don't have enough... Uh, could we just make sure that each household has one? So if you've got one. Yeah. For those of you who uh, will be listening to this uh, on the internet, and there's encouraging numbers of people who do, Uh, you can uh, email the the office and they will send you a copy 
electronically of this examine. It was uh, uh, the work of uh, um, St. Uh, Ignatius of Loyola, who started the Jesuits, and it was a regime that he used to help him in his relationship with God. And I find it very helpful because it gives a little bit of framework. It's not just there, as it were, uh, um, uh, waiting with silence in the hope that something will come. It's probably best exercised at the end of the day as you reflect back, but it adapts to any sort of uh, um, uh, situation. And I've given it five R's because I like to help um, uh, um, uh, to, to help me remember. But it's these five things. It's first of all to relax, to ready myself, not to rush in. I mean, that's a very general principle about meditation. You don't just think, right, I'm going to meditate now. Here we go, straight into it. So just to relax, to be comfortable. Uh, we're going to do this, by the way, in a very shortened form afterwards, but I just want to go through it with you. Then to request, to ask God for insight and help to recall the things of significance. Then thirdly, to recall, this is perhaps the main meat of the time, just to go through the events of the last 24 hours or whatever period you want to use, and to use that time just to tell him the things that happened. Don't make them into prayers, I'm sorry about this, and please would you help about that. Just to tell him what's been going on. Because you've already asked that God, you've already requested that God would draw out the significance of um, uh, anything that has happened. And after recalling, then reflecting. After going through the day, then asking God to give you light on whatever he might want to tell you about during that period of reflection. And then finally to rehearse, to rehearse what's going to be coming in the day to come. This can take about 15 minutes, it can be shorter, it can be longer. But what I have found it does is to uh, embed within me an awareness of God in the rest of the day. So it's not just in that period of 15 minutes or whatever. Now, it may not be right for you, and we're going to do it now um, um, uh, just for maybe five minutes, so you'll just get a flavor of it. Um, but I want to give you five, five final words, and that sounds a lot, but it won't take long, of caution about how to meditate. The first is to be disciplined. It has to be worked at. It's one of the Christian disciplines. And to think that you'll float immediately to the seventh heaven is not a reality. So be disciplined. Secondly, start small. Be realistic. Don't make the ideal the enemy of the good. We're all on a journey, so one modest step at a time is all that God requires of you. Thirdly, find a routine, a trigger or a technique, a place or a posture that's right for you. Fourthly, be yourself. Remember that we're all wired differently, so require different approaches. So some people may find looking at a view out of their gar in their garden the most helpful way of contacting God. Others may like a picture or an icon. Others may want just to read a word of scripture beforehand. Find out what suits you. God's made us all differently and therefore uh, different things will apply. And fifthly, do something. Don't do nothing. 
So this week, perhaps try the examine or something else. Just give it a go. I will give it to you afterwards, Leslie. Um, but it's uh, be disciplined, start small, find a routine, be yourself, do something. So we're going to try it now. And you will be home by lunchtime, don't worry. I suggest you don't read this now because that will become an exercise in itself. I'll just take you through and remind you of each of the R's, as it were. But first of all, just relax. Just find a comfortable position to be in. If you're cold, put your jumper on. If you're hot, take your coat off. Slow down. Try to put yourself in the presence of the living God. Don't feel it's your job to find him. He'll find you. And then request. Ask God to give light to your heart. So that as you look back over the day, you have the sensitivity and gentleness to see God working more clearly. So it's his responsibility now, so don't you feel like you've got to work hard at it. And then we come to recall. If you can think back to yesterday, just simply account for those things that you've done. Not feeling responsible, not jumping to judgments about yourself or others, but simply remember in your mind the things that happened. I got up. I was a bit sleepy yesterday because... I'd had a bad night. Having a shower was a good way of really waking me up and refreshing. No judgments, just the facts. This will take a little longer, a couple of minutes. Sorry to interrupt your feelings, but um, your thoughts, but um, we're just experimenting with this. What are your feelings? What um, gave you cause as you think back over things? What made you sad or uh, happy or contented or angry or moody or frightened? Voice those 
descriptive words in your father's presence. He likes to hear about it. come to reflect anything that you were really pleased about proud of voice it, tell him think of him walking with you in the Garden of Eden and just enjoying hearing how you've got on times that you now recognize that God was there and you didn't recognize him. Maybe times when you turned away from him and let yourself down and let him down. And then finally, rehearse. What's going to be happening in the next 24 hours? Don't flurry yourself with, oh, I must remember this and that. Just the things you know about. There'll be some things that happen you don't know about yet. Who are you going to meet? Are there temptations or opportunities to come? And let him go with you into those situations. And then just thank God for being there whenever... We have time for him. He always has time for us. Amen.